Oh, hi, podcast listeners. There's many ways you can listen to The Real Nerds Podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can also subscribe on Stitcher Radio. You want to send us a Twitter message? You can do that. It's so easy, at Real Nerds. Like us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. You can visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com, where there will be a lot of articles for you to not only read, but to listen to our previous shows. Do you like your stories told through pictures? Then you can also follow us at Real Nerds on Instagram. You can also call us, 720-6Nerds5. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. This is Real Nerds Podcast. And for 10 years, we've been podcasting our experience to the world. This week, we saw In the Heights. And joining me is... Corinne! (laughs) And Corinne! (laughs) Way to time that together, guys. And the rest. (laughs) Whatever. Uh, Yeah, Ryan uh, didn't see the movie uh, in time, so he's taking the week off. Um, And everyone else is not here as usual. So, yeah, I've just got Zach and... uh, Corinne, how you guys doing? Doing pretty good. Getting a getting a short film production underway. So uh, it's amazing that I've had time to do anything. I'm doing all right. Just eating dinner after playing a doubleheader in volleyball when we lost both games. Ugh, Got whatever. Yeah, cool. exactly. Well, we will do as much of the show without you to begin with, starting with what's going on around town. Hey, film buddies, follow me around Denver. Brad, yes. what is going on around town? Yeah, that's my segment. Uh, the Holiday holiday Twin Drive-In has a different lineup. Uh, on screen one, they have Peter Rabbit 2 and Cruella. And screen two, they have In the Heights and The Conjuring 3. That's uh, hmm. up in Fort Collins, HolidayTwin.com. If you want to... They kind of have a, have a daily schedule, so... Um, once in a while they'll throw a custom programming thing in there. So check out the website um, to keep up with it. And then the uh, 88 drive-in has a new lineup of Peter Rabbit 2 and then A Quiet Place 2 and World War Z is still up there. So Uh, (laughs) what? Going from Peter Rabbit 2 into A Quiet Place 2. Oh, Sonic the Hedgehog last week. No, no, I know. I'm not. I'm not questioning. I know what they've got to do to program. It's just. It's just an interesting like, like step into darkness straight out of Peter Rabbit two, going in right into a quiet place two. Yeah, but um, at least it's not rated R. I guess. I guess that would be a much more abrasive. Like if you were going to go like into hostile right after Peter Rabbit two, that would be quite a jump. Yeah. yeah hopefully, the the kids are asleep by then. <laughs> And not like me, who stayed awake to watch The Sixth Sense and uh, what's the shark movie? Deep Blue Sea. Because I remember that's how I saw them was at the drive-thru and I stayed up and my parents were like, oh, go to sleep. And I'm like, okay, I will. As I'm peeking around, <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch Sam Jackson get eaten by a shark. If if I if, if knowing knowing your your particular tendency with horror, it would make sense that that would be a rather unnerving double double bill. Because <laughs> Deep Blue Sea should be fun, but I could see that. 
I don't remember if that was exactly it, but I just remember that's how I saw both of them was at the drive-in, not necessarily at the same time. Yeah, that's a pretty cool. That's a pretty cool experience at the drive-in. Actually, now that I think of it, Brad, a quiet place part two might be really cool at a drive-in because when it gets quiet, you know, you're you're sitting out in your car alone. <laughs> well, during the quiet moments, it might lurk around you. You know, feel a creepy. <laughs> I'll be able to let you know because that's part of my what I've been watching when we get Ooh. to it. So. Sweet. Um, and then uh, the Denver Film Society is doing their um, film on the rocks, which I won't be going to because it's $60 per car load. Uh, but I will say uh, you should check out denverfilm.org to check out their lineup. And the most uh, recent thing is Do the Right Thing on Wednesday, June 16th. Ooh, fight the power. Dance. Um, that's a screening in the parking lot with one of their... Uh, pop-up screens they had golden eye on sunday which i really wish i could have gone to see but uh and then legally blonde on thursday and raiders of, raiders of the lost ark on friday oh really cool so they're not doing it at red rocks anymore they're just doing a pop-up thing or well it's at red rocks in the parking lot oh uh, okay but only three movies are in the actual amphitheater um and those are in july casino royale jurassic park and the princess bride in, in august actually but okay those are, um, those are solid choices, I guess. And those are actually... Princess Bride would be a very fun one to see with a bunch of people. Yeah, apparently uh, the amphitheater movies, those are $16 general admission, so a lot more affordable than the uh, car load. And you can do $32 for VIP seats, which whatever that is. You so, get to, I'm guessing you get to, that's pretty close to the stage. Yeah. Because, I mean, at a certain... If I remember right, because I went to film on the rocks for The Last Jedi, after a certain point, I want to say about halfway up the amphitheater, you can't see the entire screen because there's like that covering that covers part of the screen. So based on where you're sitting, you can't see the entire movie. Yeah. But yeah, both those options are still less expensive than the uh, parking lot drive-in. So I might try to do one of those. Anyway, cool. uh, yeah, just go to well, Denver. We just film. get five friends and go to the parking lot. <laughs> five friends. Well, Brad, you have all in the more same place at the friends. same time. Brad, stop it. You have there are more six than five of us friends. nerds. Why couldn't we all six go to a well? I guess Henry. Again, yeah, how, how again. are we going to coordinate schedules, Corinne? That's a that's an impossible endeavor these days. <laughs> yeah, it, my linchpin was all in the same place at the same time. <laughs> yeah. You have to come up with an elaborate scheme to trick us all to be there, Brad. Well, like some kind of. Whenever we do our uh, 10th anniversary thing, we'll just go to film on the rocks right after. Boom. Uh, yeah, 10th anniversary is probably the first week of August. So that would be the Princess Bride. Well, as you wish. Uh, yeah, that's what's going on around town. Sweet. Zach, what's happening in movie news? It's real news. Okie dokie. I wasn't here last week, so stop me if you already talked about something. Uh, did you know we're getting a Fletch reboot? Uh, I mean, they've been talking about this for years. Yeah, well, I guess it's now finally happening because they started showing some screenshots. Uh, and I mean, they've been saying two... that for years. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what if I told you that uh, it's the it, it, we were we will be having Greg Batola at the helm and we will have John Hamm playing the role of Fletch. Uh, that sounds like a fun time. That's cool. Greg, I like Ham. Yeah. 
But do you like bacon? What if bacon and ham were in a movie together? If Kevin Bacon was whatever, I don't know. I've never seen the original Fletch. If there's like a person villain, then that would be amazing. Ooh. If it was Kevin Bacon. Yeah, and then you have bacon, ham on the on the poster. <laughs> That'd be dope. Mr. Bean somewhere in there for beans. Yeah, that that'd be ooh. I'd be down with that. Did you by the way, Brad, you said you've never seen the first Fletch? I've never seen any Fletch. Ooh. Give the first one a try. It's good. Fletch than, lives not so much. Other than the uh you know, the Moon River clip that people reference all the time. Oh, it's it's much more than that clip. It's a good movie. It's it's a good Chevy Chase movie. Um again, the sequel not so much. Uh but yeah. You you will we will be getting a uh um a new iteration of Fletch called Confess Fletch. Um it's going to be based on the second book in Gregory McDonald's 11 novel series featuring uh Fletch. So, I was wanted to I was wanted to see Kevin Smith's Fletch with Jason Lee as as Fletch. That would have been amazing. And yeah. I mean if somehow this one gets canceled and his gets rebooted, I'm, we'll, we'll, either way, we're getting Fletch. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I'm I'm excited for it. I mean, they they Zach Braff tried to redo it at one point too. So, you know, this is everybody's tried to bring back this concept. I'm curious to see what Ham will do because if it, it feels like you have to completely like you just have to embrace your own particular version of it. Cause Chevy chase is bringing like something very specific to his talents to it. I, I mean, I've never read a Fletch novel, but if I'm going off of just the movie that he did, it seems like Ham's going to have to do something a little bit different to make it stand out. But anywho, check out Fletch when it comes out directed by Greg Matola. Um, we're getting an animated Lord of the Rings uh, companion piece called uh, The War of Rohim, Rohirrim, um, which will be telling the story behind the Fortress of Helm's Deep. Um, going to be directed by Kenji Kamiyama, uh, who did Blade Runner Black Locust and Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. Uh, it will be it will be uh, lined up alongside as a companion piece to the uh, official Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings. Uh, iterations um, and Philippa Boyens uh, is serving as a consultant on the project. She was one of the key screenwriters behind the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit trilogies. So uh, that'd be cool. I- I'm curious to see how that plays out. And I'm glad that they're distinguishing that this is not related to the Amazon thing that they're doing that that's going on. So they're keeping it within that particular sphere that they've created for themselves. Um. Let's see. Uh, Brad, did you ever... You, I cannot remember because it has been that long and a pandemic came in between that kind of time, but did you have MoviePass? I did briefly, yes. Yeah, and Corinne, you had MoviePass too, didn't you? I did. <clears throat> did you Did you know that they, it's been now confirmed by the Federal Trades Commission that they were intentionally making sure that you didn't see movies? No. I mean, <laughs> I remember... I remember when I was trying to see, what was that one Mission Impossible movie? Fallout? I don't remember. One of them. Um, that I think they had like just changed because it was like the first big movie of the summer or something. And they changed the thing so that it's like, oh, you had to 
go there ahead of time or you had to get the tickets the day of or something like that, that they changed it. And I remember I had to like pay for my own ticket to that movie. I couldn't do it under movie pass. And I was yeah. really pissed off about it. So via slash film, uh, they lifted off a piece from Mashable um, that said that re- the FTC uh, press release revealed that movie pass went to great length, great lengths to deny consumers access to the service they paid for while also failing to secure their personal information, uh, which means some of your personal information would have been at risk. Uh, one of the ways they did uh, in order to quell the sales of their movie tickets was invalidating user passwords and claiming that fraud was detected on customer accounts. Uh, and it wasn't isolated because it was estimated that 75,000 users had this practice used on them. Um, another method of stopping it was uh, MoviePass had a ticket verification program when MoviePass only allowed customers to see a movie one time in theaters. They required a customer to send an image of their ticket to, ver- to verify the purchase. But the system didn't work properly, and it caused thousands of subscribers to lose access to the service. And what's more, they also blocked power users from using the service. Customers who saw more than three movies per month contributing to the company's lack of profit were locked out of the service when they became too costly to the company. Uh, A whole ton of shit going on here. Uh, FTC also confirms that. uh, Oh my God. Are you going to read the whole article? I want to go through this because I'm, I'm very, I'm fascinated by how much, how deep this goes. They were storing consumer data, such as financial information and email addresses in plain text, rather than keeping it encrypted and limiting access to detail to those details. Uh, so they violated a shit ton of acts. Uh, it, uh, and I know that there's a documentary coming up about it um, within the realm of Mark Wahlberg producing, I believe, because I think it's the same team that did McMillions. Um, if I'm wrong about that, please correct me out there in real nerds land. But uh, I, I find that interesting because it, it, it was technically the thing that got the theaters to finally start pushing their own subscription uh, programs was movie pass basically being a craw on their side because AMC was, was already planning to launch one before movie pass decided to sweep in and be the first. And the first bu- business model to do this was one that just like absolutely fucked it up. <laughs> um, so I don't know how to read it. I'm, I, I'm very glad now that I never did movie pass. Cause that is, that would be crazy to have all that shit start happening. Yeah, I, ne- I never even got my card. So, <laughs> they, but they never locked you out or anything. Like, do, you never even got to use it. Then is what you're telling me. Yeah, I never even got to start it. Like, I signed up for it and then just nothing. Jeez, couldn't couldn't get the card, so I couldn't do anything with it. And then I uh, canceled, and that was that. They didn't even fight me on it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I never had any problems with it, other than like I said that one time trying to see Mission Impossible. I mean, if I. I don't know. It's been what two, three years now. I can't yeah. even remember. Yeah, tw- twenty nineteen is when they officially uh, folded as a company, and within twenty nineteen up into twenty twenty one, within that two year span, is when the FTC has started investigating them as well as uh, other independent agencies. So this is all fun, fucking crazy. But I'm going to stay tuned for more developments on this. Meanwhile, let's take us to something positive. Uh, Disney Plus is bringing us a new series called Behind the Attraction, uh, coming on July 16th. Uh, it's from the guys who did The Toys That Made Us, Danny Garcia and Brian Volksweiss. Um, and it will be taking you on tours and the histories behind the different theme park attractions in Disneyland. 
from the press release. It uh, delves into Disney Park's rich, amazing history using archival and never-before-seen footage and photographs to unveil the, the attractions and that came to be and how they've refined over the years as new ideas surface and technology evolves. I like this idea because when Pirates of the Caribbean came out on DVD, they did a uh, had a bit a bit of extensive information on the park itself on the park ride itself. But I want to know more about the the formation of something like the Country Bears or fucking um, uh, Tomorrowland and like those de- different elements of the park that you know have. Uh, such a legacy attached to them but it's just kind of we take it for granted that it's there um i mean it's a small world after all i really want to know if there's like a bigger story behind that than just you know the multinational cooperation it's exuding in there which is cool even though that song is you know obviously an earworm that gets stuck in your head (laughs) um so yeah look for that series on disney plus coming to you july 16th in conjunction with the release of jungle cruise um I'll start. I'll, I'll I'll end with two more stories. One sad, uh, two sad, and one glad. Sorry. So three stories. Uh, first of all, we've had two deaths. Uh, Ned Beatty uh, from Superman Network, and also known for playing the most malevolent teddy bear in animation history, Lotso the Bear, uh, passed away at the age of eighty-three. Um, quite a career. Um, I. He's Luther's sidekick in Superman, but I don't remember that sidekick's name, Brad. What is it? Otis. Otis. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, long acting legend, long legendary character actor, um, was a <laughs> key player in the very horrific scene in Deliverance, um, which if anybody's seen Deliverance, you know what I'm talking about. It's creepy as shit. Uh, and then in Nashville, he's uh, a lawyer. Uh, with no patience for deaf children. <laughs> uh, and he's also um, uh, a reporter in All the President's Men. Also appeared in a lot of TV, such as Gunsmoke, The Rockford Files, Hawaii Five-0. Uh, but I think, I, I gotta be frank, my favorite performance of his is either coming from Network or it's Toy Story 3, because Toy Story 3, that Lotso bear is the scariest, the, the scariest monster in Toy Story history. <laughs> Like I find him more malevolent than even a, a stinky Pete. Like that bear was willing to die <laughs> for his cause. Um, it's, it's insane. Does anybody have any Ned Beatty memories? Uh, nope. I saw him in those movies. Okay, cool. Right on. Well, Ned Beatty, you'll be missed. Um, also, uh, we had, there was a death within the realm of, stuff that I've done outside the show is that Joan Benny passed away, the daughter of Jack Benny, who was also a film historian and uh, film lecturer across the country within the eighties and the nineties. Um, she died of pancreatic cancer uh, uh, over the weekend. So uh, shout out to her family and uh, to the fans of the Benny fan club who have started to listen as a result of that convention. Um, Joan will be very missed. She was a very important part of that community. Um been a it's been a sad like 48 hours hearing that news um but i'll end this on a good piece of news uh it has been reported uh by major outlets including deadline that one of the greatest podcasts in history will be getting a movie uh production deal uh new republic pictures and laida kalagridis uh i hope i'm pronouncing that right has picked up the secret history of hollywood podcast uh and its entire library to produce as either 
motion pictures and or television series, uh, starting with uh, Shadows, uh, which will be telling the story of Val Luton. The creator of these podcasts, Adam Roach, uh, has been on uh, The Shamley Silhouette. He is a superb first person, and that show that he has produced over the past couple of years is incredible. So this will be interesting to see them finally telling the story of Val Luton because he's he's known within film fan communities, but he has, his story up until Adam's show had not been really told in detail the way Adam went into it. Um, but there will also be... Uh, uh, acts, there's also uh, other stories that he's told over the course of his podcasting career that will be interesting to see come to light. So uh, uh, congratulations, Adam. Cannot wait to see what comes of this. And what the hell? Where's news. our show? What did you? I've told you, have you 500 episodes that they can use. That, Brad, how many times have we talked about pod show season two? And I've asked, hey, do you want help writing this script? <laughs> No, no, that that's us making it. I, I I want Hollywood to bankroll it like they're bankrolling the secret history of Hollywood. <laughs> then people will show up and actually do it. Because <laughs> everyone will get paid to do it. I, I have no problem showing up. You tell me when to show up. I'll come over there. We'll sit down. We'll make this thing, even if it's with sock puppets. <laughs> <laughs> the show isn't just you, Zach. <laughs> I can do a Ryan impression. Hey, guys, what's up? <laughs> You can do it, but it's not that good. <laughs> it's not the same. I know. I'm aware of that. No, no. This is this is good news, though. This is like I mean, but put aside podcasting for a second. This is really cool to start seeing some Hollywood figures who haven't had their stories told get get, get some form of coverage, and you can start seeing the history, the deep histories of Hollywood on a mass scale, and it doesn't have to just be within the podcasting world. And that's something that the show has created. So this is like a good step for Hollywood history and film history in general. So, but if you're talking about the real nerds podcast, the movie, I've always told you it needs to be a road show. It needs to be a road, a road trip movie. So, or, you know, stay tuned for pod show season two. <laughs> I don't care what it is. It, we have a ton of episodes. They should be mining us, paying us to do it. If, if, I mean, what, what would the plot be for the real nerds podcast movie? Uh, what's the plot for the secret history, secret history of Hollywood movie? Telling it's telling the uh the 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 very rich and detailed history of Val Luton, one of the mega producers within the low budget B unit at RKO that produced such classics as Curse of the Cat People, Cat People, The Body Snatcher, Bedlam, Isle of the Dead, and a slew ton of others. Yeah, Have but, we done any of that? But you can do that in audio. What are they going to do for the video version? Just they're reenactments to... like Unsolved Mysteries? No, I would think if anything, they're going to tell the story of Val Luton with skilled filmmakers behind the camera. So shouldn't that just be like the estate of Val Luton getting to make a movie? Seems like Secret History of Hollywood's a middleman now. Um, I think that Val Luton's story had been largely forgotten until Adam got a hold of it and decided, you know what, I'm going to tell Val Luton's story. And that's how that happens. Well, I'm going to start telling the story of some other person who history has forgotten, and I will be is, hugely is, successful. Is, is his name Ryan Frost? <laughs> <laughs> history forgot Ryan Frost long ago. Uh, you know, it oh, was you know, forgotten actually, in the geez. news. <laughs> yeah, he's... 
uh, what you what was really forgotten in, in the news was there's a Rocky Four director's cut has a release date and a poster reveal. Yeah, I saw that. I didn't know if you guys have already talked about that last week and whatnot. So what are they adding to this? Uh, like well, how I, much footage? <laughs> I don't think they're adding to it. I think Sylvester Stallone just took the robot scene out. <laughs> <laughs> and because uh, that, that for some reason... That was everyone's hang up with that movie, which is already super short. But, but wait a minute. Didn't he, he directed it the first time. I, I would have to assume he would have had complete control given when he, that he was one of the biggest stars of the planet, that he would have had directorial control over Rocky four. Yeah. But you know, in 1985 having a robot Butler was super cool and not cheesy at all. But you can't change your mind once you've put the robot butler in your movie, Brad. That's that's you can't renege on that. You can if you're the director of the movie and 35 years later, you're trying to celebrate it and find weird ways to convince people to see it. Well, then again. So, so then feasibly, it's OK for George Lucas to alter Star Wars. Then. I I mean, he did it. Yeah, he and did. He's still doing it. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, not anymore. Te- technically, no. What? Technically, no. George Lucas isn't doing that anymore. But oh no, no, my friend, the recent Blu-rays that came out, that big set, uh-huh. they still changed shit in it. Uh, okay. Yeah, go online. It's it's the subtle, most you know, inconsequential stuff that they're still tinkering with. So, and I doubt that Kathleen Kennedy did it on her own. So. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I. Just, what's wrong with the robot? Isn't the robot fun? Isn't that kind of like part of the campy, cheesy fun of Rocky Four? Like no. the whole movie's a ninety-five minute montage. <laughs> the director's cut will be slightly different from the original. Stallone has said it will feature new footage of the Apollo versus Drago fight, and Polly's robot will be omitted. While this part of the film is very eighties and completely ridiculous. Um, sorry, I'm, I just ended up reading the actual author's. Uh, words so yeah that's that's it that's the information okay fair enough that's it so yeah extended fight scenes and no more robot i if if i get extended fight scenes then i will forgive the robot being deleted so i guess yeah just more brutal punches against apollo creed which i don't know if it needs more of that either well no you don't but like but he does know how to shoot a boxing scene like so, I'd rather watch more angles or visual takes on that, not necessarily to watch Apollo Creed get the shit kicked out of him by Drago. But I mean, he I really know. does. Like, I don't, I don't know if like there'd have to be a part where Apollo somehow gets the upper hand again. Have Ooh, you guys seen maybe. the thirty for thirty about that fight? I've heard of it, but I've never <laughs> seen it. How long is it? Is it like a five minute clip on YouTube? Yeah, yep, pretty much. Yep. Go everyone, whether you're listening at home or here on the podcast, go to YouTube, pause this podcast, go to YouTube, look up ESPN 30 for 30 Rocky four and watch it. And then watch the angels in the outfield one. Cause that's good too. So, and then come back to the podcast. <laughs> um, I'm just, let me guess, Stallone's interviewed in it, isn't he? Nope. Yep. No, he's not. Oh, he's not? Okay. Dang. That's, seems lame. (laughs) I know. I think he has too much star power for them. He's got other things to do. He's got to go film Creed or whatever. Yeah. If If you watch it, it will make sense. All right. Fair enough. 
there we go. So that's news. Um, oh, there's one more piece of news, Zach. How is oh, it? I'm no. the one bringing this up. I, you know, I think I, I think I just found it. There's a Ted Lasso season two release date. Um, I mean, there already was. Oh, it's like July twenty third. That was like several months ago. Anyway, no, the thing is that there's a trailer that dropped for He Man, Masters of the Universe, Revelation, or whatever. Ah, uh, yes, the Kevin Smith rebooted Netflix series, correct? Yep, and a bunch of little crybaby men on the internet had a pissy fit about it. So, oh, t- tell me more, Karen. Were they upset because things weren't exactly the way they remembered them as a child? Yep. And I guess, I don't know, Tila or somebody is going to be the... It's a female character princess or somebody who's going to be the main focus of the series. And He-Man is going to be like, I don't know, the Mad Max to her Furiosa or something. And so a bunch of guys were pissy about it. But Corinne, that sounds like an awesome idea. Why on earth would anybody have any issue with that? I don't know. Anyway, I just wanted to bring it up because it will play into what I've been watching later. Okay, cool. Well, I, I'm excited. You know what? I, I think that news sounds great. I probably am not going to watch the show because I'm not a He-Man inclined person, but I heard that Kevin Smith was working on that show and it sucks that uh, a bunch of crybabies are making a big deal out of things being changed because it it doesn't fit their weird agenda. I don't know, but... I mean, it's got an excellent cast. I know Mark Hamill's playing Skeletor, Lena Headey's in it, a bunch of other people. Wait, so, wait, 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 I'm going to watch this. Mark Hamill's playing Skeletor? Bro, you didn't see the trailer? No, I haven't watched the trailer. That's why I didn't put it as part of the news. <laughs> Zach. <laughs> I don't I even like gonna... He-Man, and I'm excited for this thing. I'm Okay, I'll watch this now. I want to see what Mark Hamill does with Skeletor. That sounds oh, fucking he, fun. <laughs> he's good. I mean, he's Mark Hamill. It's going to uh, yeah, sound well, good. Yeah, I don't know if you know this. He's in a movie called The Last Jedi, which is a fantastic movie. Damn straight it is. I had gotten a bunch of arguments with people over the weekend about it. Were they the same people that are complaining over about He-Man? <laughs> no, no, but it was part of the same discussion. Uh, oh, oh, okay. They were Tell- complaining about the com- people complaining about He-Man. Tell, tell you what, Corinne, why don't we just like the things we like? <laughs> Here's my that hot take. That will also be part of my uh, what I've been watching. Sweet. Awesome. Well, yes, that is news. Here's my Sorry, hot take. What, what, yeah, yes. what were you going to say? <laughs> oh, my God. You guys are... I'm just, uh. <laughs> uh, I was going to say that, uh, yeah, 80s cartoons, they're are wonderful 80s nostalgia, but they're not well-written. No, so not at d- all. So Dying Look, on the Hill for the story of the original he-man is pretty sad yeah wasn't that i wait did they do a he-man for the toys that made us i can't remember the last couple like episodes that they did i think they did i yeah they had to either way isn't that show designed to sell toys much like transformers and other fucking shit all 80s shows were designed to sell toys that's okay then so there's no you couldn't sell a toy without having a companion cartoon yeah, it's okay. I don't want to hear the complaining and whining. They can they can adjust it whatever they want because it's going to be designed to sell toys at some point. So I'm wondering where all these people were 20 years ago when they did the anime style animation grown up He Man show. I think it was on watched. Cartoon Network or something. And it was something. Uh, let me guess. It's something that nobody watched then, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I have no idea. Maybe they've now just found out about the internet and now found a way to complain. I don't know. I have no fucking clue. <laughs> I think it had like one season, but it was kind of in the same style of what this is, but I don't know what the story was, but it looks the same. 
Well, I hope that this thing gets a chance to breathe and whatnot and like develop and grow. It's really on hope- Netflix. It'll be fine. <laughs> oh, oh, well, you know, you say that, but it's already, of- it's already concluded to have only three seasons, you know, so <sighs> enjoy it while it lasts. It's a good thing that Mystery Science Theater found its found a way to be its own monster and not have to deal with Netflix because now I can just, you know, join the Gizmoplex or something and uh, do that. So, but I anyway, read, guys, I forgot, <laughs> I forgot I read something where like about the strategy behind why Netflix cancels things so quickly, despite them being like ratings juggernauts. Was it did it have something to do with production costs or? Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, like. Like an NBC show, you know, on network TV actually gets cheaper over time to make because once you build the infrastructure, like you can just keep making episodes, you know, everything gets streamlined as you go. But That's Netflix... why the blacklist has been renewed for a ninth season. Boo. <laughs> but, uh, but Netflix, something about their production is backwards. So it actually gets more expensive to make new seasons. So, um, okay. Yeah. I mean, Okay, I like the fact that Netflix just throws money at my favorite auteurs to make things they want, but if that's interfering with them producing television shows, I'm more than happy that for them to start splitting the difference and being reasonable with budgets cuz that's that's like that, that's I think that's kind of bullshit to be honest if you're going to green light a shit ton of projects and then just kick the can after one season. It's almost just like why even bother if you're not even going to commit to like at least 3 seasons to give them a chance. So yeah, if the if the ratings go down at all, you know, like the other way around, you know, the ratings go down, like you, your show's getting cheaper, so it doesn't matter as much. But um, ratings go down generally for most shows over time anyway. Yeah. So the fact that Netflixes get more expensive as they go, like that's just, yeah. Yeah, pretty... I'm sure it, it, I wonder if it makes sense to their quote unquote business model, which their business model has never really made sense to me. And I've tended not to question it because... I, I, if I'm going to Netflix, I'm going there for movies. I'm not necessarily going for television shows. So the television department is kind of irrelevant to my, to, to my thought process, but it still seems like it's a fucking shame that they have the model the way they do. And it sets a lot of shows up for failure. Cause we don't have any more glow. We don't have any more MST3K from them. And I mean, shit, like, it seems like the only thing they're even going to bother to keep around is Stranger Things because it does, that is a money-making machine for them, so. Yeah, Stranger Things and Cobra Kai, I think, are their big Which was an acquisition. Yeah. Yeah. But but since that acquisition, they've made a whole two seasons under the Netflix banner, so. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I mean, like, I, and I, I like, I'm, I'm not opposed to like sitting down with their shows and giving them a chance, but like, I just like, it's hard for me to get invested with a show these days. Cause I'm just like, I have no idea if this is going to last. So why don't I just wait until it's over? And then I just binge it then. So yeah, totally. Yeah. They give me no reason to, to stay committed if they're going to flip flop and flake out. So, um, that's why movies are cool. Cause it's a two hour story. Anyway, that, that's the news. That's news, and congratulations again, Adam, on your podcast deal. Wonderful times ahead. Val Luton story. So what are we getting on Blu-ray this week? DVD releases and Blu-rays. Um, well, I, I think we're getting a 4K. Oh, wait, we're, I think we're getting a 4K set 
of films, Brad, that you're going to enjoy. Or wait, no, you're not going to enjoy them. I'm going to enjoy them. You're going to get in the line of fire with Clint Eastwood in 4K for some reason. <laughs> of all the of all the movies to be putting out in 4K, I did not think in the line of fire was going to be one to put out, but I do enjoy that film. It's it's a nice ripe dose of madness. Um, but the new release, obviously, of the week is Godzilla vs Kong. It's coming out to 4K. Uh, you get your standard version. You also get a pretty pretty decent looking steelbook from Best Buy. It it's, it looks kind of cool. It's a downward angle shot, like a, a upright angle, a, a low angle shot of Kong and Godzilla uh, going head to head. Um, and there's also a 3D version that you can pick up as well uh, for all you 3D fans out there. Uh, there is a 4K version of Gattaca. Uh, so James will definitely be in line to pick that up, I'm sure. Um, Paramount Classics is putting out a movie called Last Train from Gun Hill uh, with Anthony Quinn and Kirk Douglas from 1959. Uh, and let's see. Parks and Recreation, the complete series, is coming to Blu-ray. Uh, so if you haven't picked up a copy of Parks and Rec for you to enjoy for all time and not worry about streaming, now you have the opportunity. Warner Art have to do that. Do it. Do it. Get more physical media. Don't have to rely on streaming. Yeah, because the only series that isn't like a mini series, the only for sh- for real series that I own is The Good Place. So yeah. I need well, that- to I need to stock up on like all these favorite shows of mine. Do you have like Do you have co- physical copies of most of the BBC series you enjoy? Oh shit! Yeah, well, I'm looking at them right now. Let's see, we got *Sense and Sensibility*, *Persuasion*, *Pride and Prejudice*. I mean, *North and South*, which that came in handy because that is not on streaming anymore. And some friends of mine wanted to watch it, and I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna have to bring my copy because that's the only way we're gonna watch this thing." Is it's not even on a Brit box? I mean, maybe, but it's like I'm not paying for that. I, I already do. own it. I, I I paid for Brit box so I could start. Rewatching Jeremy Brett, uh, Sherlock Holmes. So, well, yeah, there you go. Maybe I yeah. have to steal your login. <laughs> I have no I problem. Know. Maybe it I, is on BritBox. I don't know. I don't have BritBox to look. So, I'll, I'll you know what? I'll look for it. And if I don't, and if I like give up searching, I'll just give you my login, and you can check for yourself. Okay. I mean, it should be pretty easy to find North and South. Yeah, but I might get lazy between the N and the O and the R and the T. <laughs> um. Uh, Anthony Quinn movie, uh, along with Charles Bronson called guns for San Sebastian from 1968 is coming to you from Warner archive. Also from Warner archive, you can get the 1945 MGM Technicolor extravaganza Zeke field follies features such luminous stars as Fred Astaire, Lucille Ball, Judy Garland, Gene Kelly, Red Skelton, and many more. Uh, you are, can also get the movie Voyagers in 4k, uh, this features Ty Sheridan, Lily Rose Depp, uh, it's a sci-fi movie where all the young people are like repressed or something. I, I can't remember what the trailer told me it was. Um, and there is a movie called The Being from 1983 coming to you courtesy of Code Red Entertainment. Uh, and looks like that's about it. Unless you count some reissues of The Office seasons one through all of them coming out. I do. I don't know. What you do? Yeah, I mean, um, it's still the, it's more expensive to do it that way. But if you if you're one of those people who's like, I don't like the last couple seasons where Michael Scott's not there, you can 
get a set without that so okay cool right on on blu-ray um and if ryan was here he'd also tell you about the uh target exclusive steelbook for sicario in 4k that with uh emily blunt on the cover so i did not see that here on blu-ray.com so i'm looking at it Uh, there's also a best buy one that has like a like a oh here we go here we go different oh that is a pretty fucking cool steelbook oh shit yeah, there's, a, there's another one that's like a skull with like two handguns and some some snakes at Best Buy. So, oh, but yeah, I'm sure Ryan's all for the Emily Blunt cover one at Target. Well, yeah, oh, that's that's fucking dope, man. Um, yeah, it looks like each of the office uh, Blu-ray is separate as a uh, $17.99 at Best Buy. So, or you can get the whole complete series for one twenty. Yeah. Either way, you've got to someday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, looks like that's about it, guys. Um, Might have more fun next week. I don't know. Cool. Uh, Let's find out what we've been watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Corinne, what have you what have you been watching? Oh, quite a bit. Um, because I haven't been on in a while. So, did I talk about Palm Poco at all when I was on last time? I don't think I did. What's Palm Poco? So, Palm Poco is a Studio Ghibli film. Um, Hayao Miyazaki was not involved as far as I know. He definitely didn't direct it. He might have been like a producer or something, but I don't think he was. Um, But, I mean, there's, I want to say there's like four or five Studio Ghibli films I still haven't seen. And I'm trying to like get all those you know, knock them all out so I can be like, I've seen every Studio Ghibli film. Um, so I, I watched Palm Poco and it is okay. It's really weird. Um, so the premise is that it's about, so they, they're called Tanukis, um, which, is, you know, over here we, we call them like Japanese raccoons or something, but they're, they're like their own thing. They're not actually raccoons, but then of course, the dub that I was watching called them raccoons the whole time. And it just pissed me off. Cause I'm like, they're not raccoons. They're like a completely different species. They're not even related. So the idea is that these group of Tanuki live in this forest. That's um, being taken over by the humans and being developed into this like giant suburb. And so they're losing their home and they're trying to fight back. And Tanuki in Japanese folklore have the ability to shapeshift. And so they use this ability to try to trick the humans and sabotage the humans and everything like that. So um, (laughs) the way that it's set up, though, is very weird because it's almost like documentary. Like they they voice it over and then they intercut different perspectives, like different voiceover. And and they... I don't know how to explain it without just like, oh, you have to just see it. Um, And then they switch back and forth between this more realistic art style for the Tanuki, which looks very real to life. And then this more cartoonish art style for the Tanuki, which looks like a, I don't know, like a Mickey Mouse sort of character. Um, And they're very cute. And yeah, it's a very on the nose um but it's obviously I mean, it has a good message it's just very on the nose about it so it, it looks like a studio ghibli version of country bear jamboree with one of these covers that i'm saying he's got a guitar in his hand sure yeah they have a lot of scenes of the tanuki partying and like every time they do something they have to have a party for it <laughs> I, I is this as fun as it looks Krim? Mm, 
fine. <laughs> I honestly didn't really like it that much. I, I don't know if I just wasn't in the right mindset for it. And I just kind of went in thinking, oh, this is going to be like this cute little Studio Ghibli film. And it's going to be, I don't know, like more in the vein of uh, Ponyo or something, just more cute and whimsical. And it kind of starts out differently than it it shifts the tone a lot because it switches from this very cute thing and that they're like having a party and all this stuff to, oh my gosh, these people are dying. And <laughs> like the Tanuki straight up murder three people at one point. This is 20 minutes into the film. They murder people. <laughs> it is crazy. And so, so they're yeah. like, so they're like Ewoks. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Ooh, shoot. I want to watch this now. Uh, you, might, you might like it. They're, they're like Mario in Mario Brothers 3. <laughs> sure, whatever that means. Oh, youngins. <laughs> That's the one where he has the raccoon tail. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's Studio Ghibli, so I mean, it's like better quality animation than you get in a lot of places, but I don't know if I would necessarily recommend it. If it sounds weird enough for you to check out that you're like, oh, this sounds curious, like I get it. Whatever. Watch it if you want. I don't care. Wikipedia describes it as a comedy drama. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. Because like is, I said, it switches tone a lot. Oh, so it's like a melodrama. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Right on. So it's on HBO Max if anybody wants to watch it. And then I also um, watched the new episodes of Kim's Convenience, which is on Netflix. Um, so I think we maybe talked about this a little bit, but, um, so Kim's Convenience, it's a TV store or a TV show about a convenience store. It's set in Canada, made by a Canadian, uh, television company up there. And then Netflix just syndicates it. So I think the, whoever, whatever channel it is, they made season five and then season six, and then they were potentially going to get a season seven, but then they canceled it like right after they had filmed season six. And I think anyway, maybe they didn't get a season six. I don't remember the whole story, but anyway, um, a lot of the actors came out recently and said that they were not um, pleased with how the writer's room treated some of the characters and said that there needed to be better representation of Asian people in the writer's room. And particularly the woman who plays the mom, sorry, I can't remember her name. Um, but she said that she felt very typecast as this kind of stereotypical Asian woman or something along those lines that she didn't feel like the writers gave her storylines that were really uh, valued. So anyway, but the actual episodes for season five that just got uploaded to Netflix are really good so far. Um, still very um, light and happy. There are definitely a couple of times where they get into this like liar revealed trope and they actually kind of subvert it because they get away with whatever, you know, disguise or, or shenanigans that they're trying to pull off. Like there's an episode where uh, Mr. and Mrs. Kim, they sneak onto this fancy golf court or uh, tennis court uh, with just like, you know, one of those that, Oh, if you live in this neighborhood, you're the only ones who can use this court. And so they pretend like they live in the neighborhood when people start asking them about it. And they even like tell like, oh yeah, that's our house. And it's this like very fancy place. And they keep going with this, uh, this couple that they met at the tennis court. And they're like, oh yeah, well, we'll come by your house. And it's like, oh crap. Like 
And so you keep thinking they're going to get caught and they actually don't. <laughs> so it was kind of like, oh, I'm so glad like we didn't have to deal with that fallout because it's just like ugh, cringe. But it's been pretty good. And I think um, the, uh, the son, I can't remember any of the actors names. I'm sorry. Um, but the guy who plays the son is going to be in that Shang-Chi movie. He's going to be the lead. And he, um, they wrote him out of the first couple episodes of the show by saying he's at like a business school in L.A., so I'm like, oh, I bet that's when they were filming Shang-Chi. So, um, yeah, this has been pretty good. If anybody wants to check out the entire show, Kim's Convenience, it's on Netflix. I highly recommend it. It's just a very, very good show. Cool. Sounds like fun. Yeah. <laughs> so then yesterday, it was a whole deal. Oh, no, you watched The Blacklist again, didn't you? No, actually, though, Zach, I... I've been hearing online that they're going to do this big, like, revelation episode. And I'm like, oh, shit, I might have to jump back on this bandwagon for, like, one more episode just to see if they deliver on all the answers that they're promising. So that might be next week because it's supposed to be on Wednesday. Will the revelation be that it was a gold list this entire time? Yeah, hopefully so. Or a green list or a blue one. Or a red one. Hey, because one of the characters' name is Red. I know that about the show. You know, I think that's actually the second time that we've made a red list joke on this show. And it never stops being funny to me. And I'll just laugh alone in my house. <laughs> oh, good. So, anyway, I was bringing up the, uh, almost said Skeletor trailer, the Masters of the Universe trailer, because when I watched it, there's like this voiceover at the very beginning. And I was like, I recognize that voice. That's Susan Eisenberg. She voices Wonder Woman in the Justice League uh, animated series. And so I was like, oh, shoot. Like, I bet that's her. So I check her IMDb page. And I'm like, it is Susan Eisenberg. And so I'm scrolling a little bit. And I see there's this thing that says Justice League versus the Fatal Five. And it was only a couple years ago. And I'm like, what is this movie? I need to check this out. And so sure enough... They made this Justice League movie that is within the continuity of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited TV shows. And for some reason, I just now found out about this. So I'm like, <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> Dropped everything I was doing, found the, t or found the movie, and <laughs> watched it. Um, it was pretty good. I, I still think it was just kind of like, meh. Like, the premise was meh as far as, like, a movie goes. Like, it would have been a really good, like, two-part episode within the series. Um, but they call it, like, Justice League versus the Fatal Five. And it actually focuses a lot more on these few characters that we haven't really seen before. And we see again within the context of the show. But um, it's basically an origin story for Jessica Cruz, who's one of the Green Lanterns. And just kind of um, her kind of overcoming her... Uh, PTSD trauma from this um, very bad situation that she was in before she got her powers and um, the Fatal Five who are these villains from the 31st century come back from the past or from the future and they have to break out some of their own from this prison and so it's like a whole thing. Um, the vo uh, voice actors for Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman all came back and so that's really nice. It's in the same art style as the show. It's like updated a tiny bit, but I mean, it all the like line work is exactly the same. So it's 
honestly perfect. It, it feels very much like a Justice League uh, thing, but it doesn't feel like cinematic enough to be a movie. But I'm like, I still don't care because this was just so nice to have this like last little morsel of the DC animated universe that I'm used to. So I watched that. So that was yesterday. <laughs> then I went over to my friend Jerry's house and he and another friend of mine and I, um, we've all been going through like the Batman movies. I, I, I've talked about it on here. You know, we went through the whole Nolan trilogy and then we were watching uh, Batman v Superman, which I've seen clips of, but I'd never actually sat down and watched the whole thing. And I got to tell you guys, I hated the movie. It pissed me off so much. I think it's mostly because, like, I have just been re-watching, like, Superman the Animated Series, Justice League, like, all this stuff. And so I'm like, yeah, th these iterations of the characters that are in Batman v Superman are just so, like, in left field from what you see in the animated series. I was just like, I can't get into this Superman. Like, he's too pouty, and he's, like... Uh, hand wringing all the time of like oh should I really save these people and I'm like no real Superman don't have time to do that he gotta go out and save people he ain't got time for all this bullshit so and then of course Lex Luthor wasn't quite right and Batman murders people which I know like Jerry made a case for it and I'm like okay of the three he's like the least worst so I'll get on board with Batman just because Ben Affleck is a really good Batman um, but <laughs> don't appreciate him murdering people. But yeah, I can't get on board with this version of Superman. I can't get on board with this version of Lex Luthor. And it, the plot is just so convoluted. And it was... Anyway, I was just very frustrated. And uh, Jerry and our friend Brett, who, they loved it. And they were just, oh, talking about it. And, <laughs> and Brett even made the point of like, oh, so we love it and you hate it. And now you know how we feel about The Last Jedi because you love The Last Jedi and we hate it. We hate what they did to Luke Skywalker. And here you hate what they did to Superman. So it's like, yes, we have come full circle. <laughs> but I don't know. Did you guys like Batman v Superman? Am I alone in this? Um. So when it first came out, I, I was in the midst of... Well, one, I was still I was still drinking and smoking weed, so I was high off my gob. But I I made cases for the movie being a fun mess, and I really was trying to get on the bat the Ben Affleck Batman bandwagon because I liked what he was doing with the character. Do I agree with the whole Batman murdering people thing? I mean, as Brad and I talked about on Ballyhoo, you know, there's history of Batman being rather careless and you know, just flat out letting people die in the comics, let alone his earliest origins where he's got guns and whatnot. So it's not. I mean, he uncommon. murders people in the Bruce, or I mean, not the Bruce Tim, the Tim Burton movies. Like he yeah. hands a bomb to that one guy. He like shoots at a clown or something in Batman Returns. So yeah, he murders people in those movies too. It's, but I'm not right or die for those movies either. Well, it's. I think there you any writer that exists in this in the comic sphere is going to have their own iteration of the character that they are trying to portray out there. So it's not th those things don't tend to bother me. I tend to just try to go along with the vision. The more that I've we the more that I went back to Batman v Superman though when it was released, 
the less and less I liked it. It just it just kept diving off a cliff for me because the Martha line alone bothers me because it's just I tried making a defense for it the first time and now I'm just like I, I just can't put up with it. I I think that that movie had much more potential going into it and I stand by the idea that the DCEU should have been the dramatic opera uh, contrast to Marvel's more rock and roll approach to things, but it just didn't pan out the way it needed to. The R-rated cut, the Ultimate Edition, is and that's better. What we watched. Yeah, yeah, it's better, but not by much for me. The Jimmy Olsen thing means nothing to me. Like it's like okay, it so it's Jimmy Olsen. Okay, that doesn't like that doesn't do anything for the story you're telling, really. Um, and I, I don't know. I just I, I, it's supposed to be the crux of what you end up getting for with Justice League, and I think it's a poor setup for that. So. Which is interesting because Jerry felt the opposite. His argument was that as people revisit this more, they will like it more. And that all these people who hated on it the first time will, you know, if they give it a second chance, they'll like it. And I don't know one way or the other, but, you know, it's interesting that you say that your experience was the opposite of that. The more you watched it, the more you disliked it. Because I'm looking at it from like my, my, my viewpoint on it has always ha- usually comes from filmmaker first and storyteller first and fan second. And what I saw was not as enjoyable as the Marvel fair coming out that year or like, I mean, like, I mean, I look at it from a very practical standpoint, like Marvel did, did the premise of smashing a bunch of heroes together in a solo outing better with Captain American civil war, which is basically Avengers 2.5. And I just, I can't get on board with that. I mean, but I will say that knowing what I knew about it after all the times that I had seen it and then going into the Justice League Snyder cut, I still don't agree with the Martha angle, but there, there were redemptive elements justifying Snyder's vision. I just... I think when it's all said and done, by the time I'm on the other side of it, I just don't know if I can revisit that universe in the same way. Um, and also, like, knowing that it's going to be incomplete no matter what, like, it doesn't really give me an opportunity to... It's like a television show. It doesn't give me an opportunity to go beyond it and think more about it, because I'm like, okay, well, it's it's over now. Like, we, it's already been set up that this wasn't feasible enough for Warner Brothers to continue, so... I don't see myself investing any more time in that particular series, but I own a copy of the movie. I got it for, I got it for pretty cheap when I worked at the thrift store. So, you know, like it's still on my shelf and I make as much capital out of that title as I can. Cause I do think that the title Batman V Superman is a silly title, <laughs> but, um, but I'm glad Jerry likes it. I mean, like I'm glad the movie has fans. So Brad, what about you? Do you like BVS? Oh, is there time for me? Okay, cool. Uh, I I was fine with it. Um, you know, I, I've, I'm not in a place in my life anymore where, you know, there's a a definitive, a definitive version of a character for me. Like I accept, you know, if these, the life cycles of these properties are going to be extended, you got to be open to interpretation. So, you know, there's been many iterations of Batman in the comics, and this is just another one, you know, Snyder had to find his angle, uh, on like a different way to present these characters. And he did this and, 
it's fine. Uh, I think the ultimate cut is better because it uh, fills in the gaps of some, of some of the things he was going for. But um, you know, I, I don't, I don't mind seeing a, um, you know, a, a take on a Superman who like in the real world, you know, the burden of having to hear, you know, that many voices crying out for help and like being like the expectations on a person like that, you know, would, I, I don't think that person would be a happy go lucky guy. Like he was no. created. I think, um, he, yeah, it would just weigh on him so much that it would just like make your life miserable. Um, being expected to save everyone all the time. So they, they, they gave anyway, him a... can we, yeah, I'll yeah. tell you about my last thing that I watched. Cause I did, <laughs> A, like Justice League triple header yesterday between Justice League versus the Fatal Five and then uh, ba- Batman v Superman. And then I was like, ca- came home and I was like, I need to get the taste of this terrible movie out of my mouth. So I decided to watch uh, Justice League Crisis on Two Earths, which is another DC animated movie. Um, I found out, like I'd seen clips before, but I found out more about it when I was researching Justice League versus the Fatal Five that Crisis on Two Earths was supposed to be, um, it was originally uh, written as this kind of bridge between the Justice League animated series and the Justice League Unlimited animated series. And you still, you, like, if you were familiar with the two shows, like, you would see, like, exactly where the, the that bridging tissue is in the movie. But the art style is different. The voice actors are different. So it's technically, like, it's in a completely different universe, but you can see, like, different little things that pop up of like, oh, that explains like that, like why they did that in Justice League Unlimited and things of that nature. Um, And it was pretty good. I think I liked it a little bit better than Justice League versus the Fatal Five, um, which is kind of weird considering that, the like I said, the voice cast was completely different from what I was used to. Um, But I, I was really impressed with Wonder Woman. I thought the choreography for her fight scenes was really, really good. There's a scene where she's fighting Superwoman, who's like her evil equivalent the whole premise of the movie is that um the justice league is recruited by lex luthor from an alternate dimension where he's a good guy and he's the leader of his justice league to come over and fight this crime syndicate who are all the evil counterparts of the justice league uh members that we're familiar with so you got like ultraman is like the evil superman you got owlman is the evil batman and all that stuff um and then, you know, there's like this doomsday situation where Owlman was to destroy the whole multiverse or whatever. It's pretty fun. I would recommend it. If you have HBO Max, go check it out. Justice League Crisis on Two Earths. It is kind of fun to see Lex Luthor being a good guy. <laughs> I will say that. Cool. And also Wade Wilson, a.k.a. Deathstroke, a.k.a. Slade, is the president in the alternate universe. <laughs> Which I was like, what? <laughs> Deathstroke is the president. So, so if Snyder had adapted it, that would make Joe Manganiello president. Sure. Ooh. I like the idea of President Joe Manganiello. And James Woods plays um, uh, Owlman. Okay, I know James Woods, like, as a human being, is someone that a lot of us disagree with, but... As a voice actor, he does a really good job in this movie. And mm-hmm. Mark Harmon, I want to say he plays Superman. Maybe he's played Batman. No, William Baldwin plays Batman. Mark Harmon plays Superman. So it's a lot of those people who were like kind of famous in 20, 2010, I think, when the movie <laughs> came out. <laughs> 
you know, you read them today and you're like, Mark Harmon, I vaguely know who that is. Oh, yeah, that's that guy from NCIS or whatever. <laughs> oh, he was in Freaky Friday with Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and that's all I've been watching. So anyway, back to the state of D.C. Just kidding. <laughs> now, here's my take. If on they the- make more... Quack more uh movies within the dc animated universe like within that justice league jlu continuity i would totally be on board with that or just any anything like i know like some of the more recent movies the i need to check some of them out like once they're on hbo max you know it'd be really cool if they rebooted the whole entire dc universe from the perspective of the 30s when Superman first emerged as a Depression era hero, and then they introduced Batman in that same similar way, and just make an Art Deco version of it for me, <laughs> I'd like that. Zach, what did you watch this week? Oh, oh, oh a bunch of uh, 30s and 40s things. So get ready for old timey talk now to counterbalance this DC and Marvel stuff. All right, Brad, um, we won't interject. We're just going to let him talk himself to death. <laughs> Oh, you guys want to be here for seven hours? Okay, that's fine. Number one. Um, so he gets blue in the face and passes out. Got it. <laughs> I can pass out without having to talk, guys. It's easy. Um, no, um, I at the I, I was gone last week. So um, at Film Club uh, last week, we saw I Know Where I'm Going, which is by Powell and Pressburger, The Archers. I had never seen this before. It's the first time. Uh, concerned a woman uh, going off to marry this rich guy um <clears throat> hanging out on the Isle of Mole. Uh and while she's waiting to uh be connected with this 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 wealthy old guy, she meets Roger Livesey, uh, uh who plays Torquil. And the uh impetus of her is trying to get to this person she's supposed to marry, but she's starting to slowly fall for this guy. But this guy has a curse attached to his head. Um it's a very it's a very wonderful adorable film um palin pressburger showing a lot of the matters of the head versus the heart uh in a very beautiful way and it has uh roger livesey has kind of become like this new guy i want to keep exploring because a matter of life and death blew me the hell away and he's one of my favorite parts of that movie so uh it's a very beautiful film um and then uh one of the reasons I was gone last week is because I accidentally scheduled a Ballyhoo recording with a um, friend of the podcast, John Ekstrom, uh, to talk about W.C. Fields. It's a gift. So I watched that for a Ballyhoo episode that'll be coming up. Um, it's, a, it's a W.C. Fields joint, and I wanted to kind of get myself reacquainted with Fields. So I rewatched a movie called International House. Uh, this movie is not... Um, this movie's kind of a tough pill to swallow in a lot of respects because of certain racial connotations that are attached to it in the way Asian people are represented in the film. Uh, and, but having said that there are intriguing things to watch in terms of how they're handling basically grand hotel, but for comedians only because you have Burns and Allen in this film, uh, you have a WC fields, um, you had, Boone, uh, Stoopnagel and Bud, and you have Bella Lugosi playing a uh, a Russian uh, businessman who's uh, trying to. The whole plot is that all these people are gathering in a hotel to see uh, a radio television kind of invention being 
made by a guy who is unfortunately um, uh, a white guy dressed up as an Asian character. So it's all kinds of unfortunate and problematic and just uh, terrible. But uh, there are funny moments in the movie to watch, uh, specifically with W.C. Field, this character. He plays a professor who's uh, on a uh, aviation journey and his plane lands square in the middle of this um, hotel. Uh, so it's a grand set piece to watch, like the amount of money Paramount pumped into that movie just to show a plane flying into the middle of a hotel lobby is kind of amazing. Um, and there's an element of it. Uh, one of the characters, uh, if, if we're talking about our love plot, one of the characters gets uh, is kind of like a, an anemic kind of like wimpy little worm. And he doesn't and his his girlfriend is just like, you you can't we can't get married because you're always getting sick which is kind of a weird reason not to marry somebody. I don't fucking understand it. But regardless, uh, he mistakenly gets diagnosed with something contagious. And so they actually put up a quarantine inside of this hotel that they're at. And so I'm like, oh, this is this is giving me shades of the last year. Um, and the the whole affair is kind of madcap insanity, but it's only like an hour and 17, like an hour and eight minutes. Sorry. So you're you're kind of. Uh, only there for a little bit so you kind of just get it all crammed into one little session there um uh, it's it's quite mad but it's enjoyable if you can get past the problematic elements of the film which are very difficult and it's within your comfort level um you might enjoy the comedy of wc fields and burns and allen permeating through it's not the best burns and allen movie either so it's it's kind of hard to like fully recommend it but it's an intriguing little beast um and then I rewatched uh, A Night at the Opera and The Day at the Races with the Marx Brothers. I've been trying to kind of go back to their later MGM uh, and final films because I re-go through those Paramount movies a bunch. Uh, Night at the Opera still works pretty well for me. Um, I've been learning more about how that movie was butchered uh, after its initial release because they wanted to take out any mention of the movie being set in Italy for the first third of the movie because they didn't want to offend uh, Italians when releasing the film. But the fact that Chico Marx exists as a character means that it was going to offend Italy no matter what. Uh, so you can, you can start, I can start seeing now where uh, the studio started cutting out references to things by the jumps in the cut of the film. And it's pretty fascinating to watch. Uh, and then Day of the Races for me takes a kind of a dive uh, um, off the cliff after Night at the Opera. It's funny, but it's it's long. Uh, it stretches out a little too much. It's way more focused on anything but having Marx Brothers fun in certain places. And it does have it has a dance number at the end that is problematic in certain areas, but it doesn't like look. It's not a bad remark on the Marx Brothers. It's more of just the way MGM was setting up plots for them. They just, it, it, it's, it's very difficult to watch it because you're, you can tell that it, you, you would know off of the hand that the Marx brothers wouldn't be approving of anything offensive. So nobody was seeing it as offensive at that point. Um, but still a very interesting watch and both films have their high points. The scene with uh, them in the doctor's office in a day at the races where they're washing their hands thoroughly. Um, and basically through the, through the scale of events in which Groucho Harpo and Chico are unfolding the madness by the very end of the scene, the whole operating room is flooded from the 
fire alarm lights and a horse rides through the operation room. So it's like, it's the definition of insanity and it is interesting and fascinating to watch and, and delightful in places. Um, and, uh, and then I rewatched night of the hunter, still a solid film. Uh, Mitchum is a terrifying motherfucker. Uh, and, uh, and then the last thing that I watched was at this week's, Secret History of Hollywood Film Club. We watched Black Narcissus, which is another Powell and Pressburger film. This is a film that I think James would like. It's been a while since I've seen it, uh, and I've wanted to, I wanted to do a Ballyhoo on it at some point because it is it's a movie that do connect directs directly connects to films that attempt to tackle the uh, the logic and the heavy burden that comes with uh, devotion to religious dogma. Uh, the story concerns a group of nuns who start working at a mission up in the, up in the tall mountains and things start unwinding there for them due to their vows. Uh, whether it's uh, Deborah Kerr's character kind of like reminiscing and reflecting on her lost love when uh, upon taking her vows and Kathleen Byron's character, slowly unwinding and questioning her vow of chastity um, for uh, the, the Mr. Dean character. And it becomes like a psychological roller coaster by the back half of the movie. Uh, it's still a glorious piece of film. If you ever want to look at Technicolor at its finest, Black Narcissus is kind of like the definition of it alongside of a matter of life and death. Like it is a beautiful looking movie on Blu-ray. Um, so uh, yeah. And Brad, you were asking earlier why, <laughs> uh, like, like about like the stories that can be told, like from something like secret history of Hollywood, like the beauty of that film club and what has been put together with that is that there are, there is exposing, they're exposing you to films that have been largely forgotten unless they're within just the criterion community or a certain film fan community. So that's the importance of that particular element of what they're doing um and it's something that i do encourage people to check out just from that alone so so yeah i was doing a bit earlier so i know you i know you were (laughs) i just (laughs) i wanted to make sure that i was standing up for my fandoms just as everybody else stands up for theirs (laughs) um and uh and yeah that's all i watched this week um brad what did you watch yeah, what did I watch? Not a lot. So lucky for you guys. Um, I rewatched Action USA, which is a movie from 1989 that I saw at the Alamo uh, one night where it's pretty bad, like acting and uh, story about a, is, a girl who's... Is this, who the, see, is this a, the one that came out at the Alamo a few months back? Yeah, I got like a special Alamo recommends oh. re-release. Oh, okay, I was maybe I thought I was confusing it with a canon movie. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean it. It, it could definitely it's definitely up there with canon movies. Um, but yeah, there's, there's this woman who, uh, you know, is witness to a crime, and there's a bunch of like a, a crime boss and his, his lackeys tra- uh, chasing her, trying to like locate the some storage locker that has something in it, and then uh, the FBI gets involved and protects her, and they go uh, throughout Texas. Uh, trying to get away like get away from him and uh, along the way there's just like ins- an insane amount of car crash stunts and and hanging out of a helicopter um 
you know, all done, you know, in 1989 by real people in, you know, not on a green screen. That's pretty impressive. Like that's the, like the reason to watch it is, you know, the, the stunt work that was done on a low budget um, in that time. Uh, so yeah, I, I rewatched that and uh, I went to the drive-in. So I saw, I, I went to the drive-in just to go to the drive-in. Uh, <laughs> I didn't really want to see Sonic the Hedgehog again, but it was fine. It was fun. Um, it, it, it flew by a lot faster than the first time I saw it last year. And then uh, The Quiet Place Part 2 went by even faster. Um, it's such a short movie. Like It was so. interesting, Brad, because I saw that like the same weekend I saw Cruella. And while I thought like Cruella should have been like 10 or 15 minutes shorter, I felt like A Quiet Place 2 could have been 10 or 15 minutes longer. Like it ended. I was like, wait, what the hell? Like it just ended. Like it could have gone on another 10 minutes. <sighs> yeah, uh, it's, it's yeah, it, it could have done like another half hour of that. Because um, Krasinski is a confident director who understands you don't need two hours to tell a good story. Yeah, it's a, it's a tight, like it's everything that is in there that needs to be there. So, How was I, it watching it at a drive-in, though, with that atmosphere I mentioned earlier? I was going to say, like, it's it's a darkly lit film, so sometimes it's hard to see from that far away. But the sound design through the basically mono into stereo speakers in the car, there's a part where there's a low bass rumble. I forget what part of the movie it is, but it just, it was an odd sensation. And I thought the car was going to shake apart. (laughs) Like it wasn't like pounding vibrations. It was just like a low fine vibration, but it was so echoey. It just like, it it just kind of made you jump a little bit. Like, like it wasn't just shaking the car, like the speakers in the car front doors, but it felt like it reverberated through every inch of the car. Oof. Like every inch of plastic, every inch of leather. That's had a nice the vibration touch in it. there. <laughs> it was so bizarre. It was like nothing I'd ever heard before. Um, it was so deep and so bassy. But yeah, uh, so that was cool. Um, and then I've just been rewatching uh, SNL on Hulu. Uh, seasons. I'm on season 39 right now. Um, they're in a rebuilding year because Sudeikis, Hater, and Armisen just left. So, and they huh. added f- four white guys to the cast and one woman. And there's a fun uh, opening bit where Carrie Washington does the cold open and she has to play Michelle Obama and Beyonce. And uh, there's like an over a voiceover where she has to leave the room because Keenan won't do, oh no, Keenan won't do Oprah. So she also <laughs> has to play Oprah. And so she leaves the room and there's like a little uh, text on screen and then. Uh, Jay Farrow and Taryn Killam or Obama and his, and his handler. And so they just kind of sit down and talk amongst themselves while this uh, Don Pardo like does a description of like, uh, yeah, cause we hired five dudes <laughs> and there's no black woman in the cast. Uh, we apologize to Kerry Washington <laughs> for making her do this. And when she goes to do Beyonce, she's like, I'm coming out in a bathrobe. <laughs> I can't, I got no other costumes back here. Um, so it's, I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess, uh, um, yeah, Leslie Jones gets added after this season, but yeah, the three of those guys only end up lasting the one season. Um, and Beck Bennett and Kyle Mooney get to go on and Noel's Noel Nels, Noel Wells doesn't make it. So it's interesting to see who, you know, makes it through 
each season on SNL. I, th- I think it's fascinating to watch. Like, I, <laughs> like why? What? Like, what? I, I, it's such a hectic work schedule. You know, I, I wonder what the pressure does to these people. I'm wondering. I, I I wonder how SNL operates today comparison to what it did 20 years ago because there's such a. <clears throat> it seems like there's a big expectation and yet no expectation out of the show at this point within the last five years. It just yeah. seems like they they're on a weird autopilot. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a well oiled machine. Like I watched that first season, like I said, and that first episode, that pilot is just so off the cuff. You know, it's so long. It's so much more variety. Um, you know, I, the, the show today is definitely made to like, it's easily cut up into snippets for YouTube. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely changed a lot. And even in the 90s, like, um, the, the 90s had a lot of uh, sketches about game shows or television shows and you know, the cast members were definitely building characters to later go on to make movies of those characters. Yeah. And I actually liked the recent season, uh, and, um, like 18 through 20, 21 is kind of like 20 and 21, you know, cause the pandemic, they have the stay at home stuff. So they didn't really get to like do their normal thing, but I think it also helped them to only craft like a lot of the sh- like the sketches are kind of just people sitting in a room talking because they had to be socially distant in the sketches and wear masks and stuff um, with the crew. So mm-hmm. they got away from th- the traditional sketches. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, the nineties, a lot of, yeah, like here's a, you know, a funny version of a show we made up, you know, like they're all television show based. And uh, a lot of the newer stuff is very uh, like about a premise more yeah. a story. So and then uh, also with, you know, the Sandberg shorts, uh, like there's people who have taken it over since then. But, you know, there, there's more of a, a pre-produced element to it than there was before. I feel like that's what they've got to go for now, because it, it always feels weird to me that a variety show has lasted this long into the 21st century, because it just seems like a concept that doesn't appeal to people on a must watch must tune in basis. If it's, if it's anything, it's going to work more on Netflix or Hulu where the audience that wants it'll find it, or you just go onto YouTube and watch the clips. So it's almost like the SNL isn't must watch TV the way it used to be. So it's, yeah, I, I don't think that's even the goal of the show really. Like um, it's there, but I think it SNL's main focus is that it's a talent farm. Like yeah. you, you mine your talent, like the writers get to work out ideas there, uh, you know, up and coming comedians get to perform, you know, they get to move on to, you know, if they do well, they get to move on into movies and that feeds the machine. And yeah. Feels like it's different from what, like it, cause like when they were those first five seasons, you tell that you can tell that like, with the exception of Chevy Chase, though, the goal is to produce like a, a variety show that hadn't been seen at that point. And now, yes, you're right. It has become that talent farm. Yeah. yeah. It's um, interesting to think about. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was funny, though. I did see when I was going through a couple of the, like, I think 36 or 37, they still had like the Muppets coming on um, and doing like sing-alongs and things. So it hasn't strayed too far from 
<laughs> you know, there, there's actually a lot of creative. Like I like when they bring back, you know, they're, uh, like past cast members, even though they're not the host, they'll be a surprise in an episode. Um, yeah. Stuff like that. Uh, Isn't so. there a recent sketch with the Muppets? Those, uh, I forget the names of the, which ones, but it's like the two old guys who are like the critics. Oh, it was yeah. When, uh, Statler and Waldorf were on SNL recently? Yeah, like two weeks it ago or something. It was when Keenan Michael Key was hosting. Yeah. And he and... Uh, uh, Keenan Thompson. Him. Yeah, Keenan Thompson. They were like bouncer or security guards or whatever at a theater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the think- old guys kept like chiming in and they were like, hey, you need to knock that off. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ke- Keegan finally like went up to the balcony and just started punching him out. And it was like... <laughs> I think Kyle Mooney and Beck Bennett are doing the puppeteering of the puppets. So, yeah, but, that sounds right. But or at the least way the they, voices. Yeah, I, I, yeah, definitely Beck Bennett's one of them. But I forget who the other one. It might have been. Oh, it was Mikey Day, actually. Yeah, but like the way they perform, like they look so like sad and pathetic, <laughs> and they even switch out the eyes to black eyes. Oh, after they've been punched out, it's just like yeah, so sad, but uh, it's oh. funny, funny at the same time. So. That's that's hilarious. I have yeah, to check that out. They're on as recently as that. Yeah, I think the one I saw was uh, Jason Segel because he just done the Muppets. Mm-hmm. So they all came in and did that. So uh, yeah, um, but yeah, I'm getting pretty close to catching up to modern times on that show, and uh, I'll eventually go back and do seasons two through five. Sweet. And then the the early '80s black hole oh, yeah. years <laughs> yeah that's uh th- those are rough watches the non-lorn michael's years yeah I, it's i mean like they're they're there's stuff to watch but it's just rough because you they're in a weird it, it one you don't have lorn there but two it's just like they're in a re they're in a huge rebuilding mode because they like basically dumped everybody apart from like any lingering crew so and then you get Eddie and um, Joe Piscopo in there, and then it starts molding itself more back into the SNL we remember from the '90s. So, yeah, and that's what I watched. Sweet. This week on Realness Podcast, we saw In the Heights. Corinne, what did you think of In the Heights? Overall, I really liked it. I will say it took me a bit to really get into the movie. I'd say about maybe a third of the way through, there's like this big number at a swimming pool. And that was about where I was like, yeah, I'm like on board with this movie. But the first, like before that, the first third, I was like, oh, where's this going? What's going on exactly? And I felt like the opening number wasn't as dynamic as it could have been. So maybe that's why it was like, yeah, I guess I was expecting a little something different than what I got. But um, there is a really good number about halfway through that I just started like crying and then the ending was like awesome. So <laughs> it's a really good movie and I recommend people go see it for sure. Zach, what did you think of in the Heights? I think that if you don't like this movie, you have no heart and you need to go find one immediately because it's fucking wonderful and beautiful. I had a lot of fun watching this. Um, the, uh, 
John Chu is is really starting to grow on me as a as a filmmaker to keep watching because In the Heights brings back a flourish to movie musicals that I kind of wish was more pre- present when people try to do them. Um, there's there's a, there's a heightened elegance to it, um, but this movie is not afraid of the roots that it's seeping itself in with the the creation that Lin Manuel Miranda and his writing collaborator put into it initially on Broadway. This this movie has a heart and a story to tell about a community that doesn't get any exposure. But putting aside the the social elements of it, which are extremely important, like this is like a just solid like nice story about following your dreams like and that's a kind of a nice movie to see coming out of a year of desolation and despair um and also jimmy smiths we need more jimmy smiths in our lives and i think this movie gave us plenty of jimmy smiths so i'm totally down for that so yeah please go see this movie uh yeah i liked it uh like corinne there was that thing where um like when i watch shakespeare it takes me you know a good 10, 15 minutes to kind of settle into the language of it. So I had that, uh, you know, there's a point where I was thinking like, I, I feel like out of place with it. Um, but uh, in the end, uh, I enjoyed it. I think it's creative. Uh, it does have heart. Um, it was a little less surreal than I expected. Um, you know, I, I think something like La La Land was a little uh, more surreal, uh, but the the effects of what they pulled off that was uh, surreal was pretty impressive. Um, and yeah, I had a hard time following like to what end the movie was chasing. Um, but I think it wrapped up nicely. So, uh, you know, a lot of time it, it felt like a hangout movie to me. So, um, which is fucking cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. So here's the trailer for in the Heights. Let me just listen to that block. quiet usually the one trains up there screeching there's so much stuff going on just got me thinking about all the people i care about the most there's a breeze off the hudson and just when you think you're sick of living here the memory floods in the morning light off the fire escapes the nights in bender park blasting big pun tapes it's a story of a block that was disappearing once upon a time faraway land called Washington Heights. Who's gonna notice we're going? Say it, so it doesn't disappear. Washington Heights! Look who's home! Bad changes happening on the block since you've been at school. When it came to dreams, we had to keep scraping by. Ice cold piragua. Silly when we get into these crazy hypotheticals. You really want some bread, then go ahead, create a set of goals. I pick a business school and pay the entrance fee. And maybe if you're lucky, you'll stay friends with me. They used to say, you work hard, you live by the rules, the things will come, and those things will heal you. I'm not going to sit here and give you some fairy tale. Ignore anyone who doubts you. Because this place, this is it. I just want to see a whole world through our eyes. Let's go! Go show them who we are. Today's all we got, so we cannot stop. This is our block! This is the moment when you do better than me. Because you can see a future that I can't. 
Sonny, you're late. You know you love me? Uh, yeah, so In the Heights is about uh, Navi, who runs a bodega and has aspirations of, I believe, taking up his father's uh, recently hurricane-embattled uh, what, like beach, bar? Beachside bar, yeah, like a beachside bar, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in, El Suenito. Yeah, that's yeah. A, his dream is El Suenito is uh, to revive that bar uh, in the Dominican Republic, I think. Mm-hmm. So he's going to leave the country and uh, that is going to leave a, a hole in the social fabric of the Washington Heights area where already uh, a number of businesses have fled and uh, the uh, salon is currently in the process of doing that. And um, uh, what's her Jimmy name? Smith's, Jimmy Smith's Rosario's has to, he sells it to pay for his daughter's college to go yeah. Yeah, to, to keep attending Stanford and, yeah, and uh, there's Vanessa. She's an aspiring fashion designer um, who can't seem to get uh, any attention for her goals. And Corey Hawkins' character, I forget his name. He runs the dispatch. Oh, Benny. Benny the Benny. dispatcher, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he just seems to want uh, Jimmy Smith's daughter. Just, just I think his goal is Nina's. Mm-hmm. I think his goal was just to have her be in his life. Um, he's, he's in the heights for life, but she and she thinks she needs to stay in the heights for life. But yeah. she she learns over over the course of the movie to find something to chase that is of that importance, coming in the form of uh, Yusnavi's cousin. Uh, uh, what was his name? Sonny. Sunny. Yeah, Sonny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah and, her, uh, her bit at the very beginning was probably the most compelling for me. Like her whole song about how she doesn't feel like she um like belongs at stanford and then she comes back and she doesn't feel like she belongs here either and like so much has changed and everything and uh like that i think was maybe the first time i was like okay like i'm i'm kind of digging what you're putting out here movie (laughs) and then yeah by the time they got to the pool scene i was totally on board (laughs) it's weird that she feels like a ton has changed when it seems like you know at most she could have been away without ever visiting for holidays is four years you know you know it's, well it's, it sounds like she just went to stanford I, I get i got the impression that it was her freshman year like she had I just thought. gone there yeah so it, it's that's why i'm confused is like when she comes back she's like oh everything's so different like it, i i can't imagine well that. you know if you've been in a place for a really long time then yeah even a slight change is gonna feel like a big one and also the the environment itself is rapidly changing because of different businesses being uh, bought by something yeah. else that's more elegant. Like the whole the whole idea of that dry cleaner, which charges nine dollars for a shirt, is you know like a boutique that's out competing a local business that was built from the ground up within a community. Um, and so yeah, there is change going on. Yeah, the storefronts are different, but I mean, like it's not like our friends have changed that much, you know. You know, it's like, it's like I haven't seen 
if I hadn't seen you guys for a year because of the pandemic, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, you kind of have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there are changes. There are subtle things you see in people. Like, and you, you were saying that this is a hangout movie. And I think that the, the kind of the beauty of that is you, you get to settle into that and the changes she does observe and the things that she knows that remain the same that she observes are allowed to flourish and kind of like unfold over the period of the film. So like you're, you're, you're enveloped in their lives. So yeah, I, I really liked her arc of, you know, I guess, spoiler warning, if you didn't know already, but just over the course of the movie, how she, you know, she kind of went to Stanford because like, that's what everybody expected her to do. And she was like the one who made it out sort of a thing. And so she feels so much pressure of like, you know, everybody else wanted her to go to Stanford and then she got there and she's like, I hate it. Like, I don't feel like I have a community here. I feel so isolated. And then uh, over the course of the movie, she figures out like, okay, I can go back, but I need to do it for like my own reason. And that her, her reason that she finds with Sunny is that she has like a cause and she wants to go back so she can learn how to help that cause move forward. Yeah. Which is, which is a, a lovely little lesson to learn within mm-hmm. within the scope of the film that you know yeah, it's I was like she had to learn how to do it for herself yeah and I was wondering I I didn't look into this and I guess I should have but the uh, the 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 original musical came out started in 2005 and then finally went to Broadway in 08 so I'm wondering if the dreamer aspect of the piece was more of a later addition um, as the movie was being developed by first um uh, a company we don't need to talk about anymore uh and then eventually getting picked up by warner brothers so i'm curious if that ended up enveloping into it or something i I would want to look into the history of it but yeah i was surprised like that part of the story was actually not as big as i expected yeah the trail the trailer uses it as a selling point and a marketing hook but i appreciate that the movie doesn't uh solely wrap itself around it because it does give us a time to really fall in love with the 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 different residents of this of this area of washington heights because it's not it 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 feels personal like you by the end of two and a half hours or close to two and a half hours you feel a you feel like you feel like you're part of that world and it's a really magical feeling that gets put into you um I mean, like, we haven't even talked about Abuela, who is, like, the heart of the film in a lot of respects. Because Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that her whole song her. where she is about to die and then eventually dies, like, that's where I started crying. Because just the, the way that that was filmed and the emotion behind it. And then, like, when she, she even says, like, should I stay or should I go? And she gives that look and she starts walking up the stairs and I was just like, Oh, balling over there on my couch. Like, Oh my gosh, Claudia, like, no, (laughs) it it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of guts to film a musical sequence like that about uh, accepting your death by walking into the bright light, the way they film it and having it through that train tunnel. uh, Like the, 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 the entrance to a subway is it's just beautiful. It's and her, I her was story. listening. Her, like you, yeah, it's listening almost like you get lyrics. to know her, like right as she's dying. Like all these things that, like yeah, she talked about it a little bit earlier in the movie of like her mom and you know coming from Cuba and all that. And but then it's like when you really 
feel like you get to know her and her story and then she just dies you're like oh my gosh like such emotional whiplash and you're just crying she, <laughs> she, she brings that she brings the contextual resonance that's needed to understand why the struggles that uh that people in the heights go through is is residual from from having come to America at that point and being prejudiced against and being belittled and trampled down and to hear her story unfold in that subway car. And she's she's mentioning history throughout her song. Like it's really, really like astounding to watch her perform it and to listen to the words that she's speaking. Like it's, it's stunning. Um, I really like that line about how she misses the stars, like in something about like how in Washington Heights, you can't see the stars. You can barely see the street lamps or something. Yeah. But then there's work in Nueva York. Yeah. It's, oh God, it's, it's so lovely. Um, And the, 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 there's, there's, Brad, I think you were talking about earlier, like kind of like there's like some innovative flourishes with the with the dance numbers and stuff. Like, I I was taken aback by the one of the final dance numbers where they're floating on top or they're like walking upside of the building like they're Spider Man. And I thought of that too. I was like, somebody saw Spider Verse. <laughs> but but like it took me off guard for a minute. But I think that. The way I was waiting for it because I knew I saw that shot in the trailer and I was like, all right, I know they walk up the side of a building in one of these dance numbers. So when are we going to get to it? And it was awesome. Yeah, it was because I thought that it might be a little too digitally because there are a lot of digital flourishes in this movie that you it's not that they're noticeable, but like they are clearly bridges into another shot that are totally fine and acceptable. This one, though, had a good like blend of whatever VFX they're putting into it mixed with a, what, what looks to be some form of practical set um, for them to pull off a lot of those maneuvers. It, it's very, very stunning to look at. And the scene about uh, the scene about the lottery, the, the, the number about the lottery ticket where they're doing, where they're doing the dance in the community pool is like a highlight. Like that is a huge highlight number. It it's really cool. And like, I've never, I've still haven't watched the Hamilton thing on Disney Plus. So this was like a, a the first exposure I've had to the Lin Manuel Miranda style of kind of like these rap musicals, like so to speak. And I, I was like, I love the rhythm of it. Like it, it, it's, it's a, it beats as loud as the heart of a city itself. Like it's really cool to like watch it unfold that way. Um, Brad, was there a scene that stood out to you? Um. Not like a scene, but uh, just kind of like musical number. I was gonna say, like overall, I thought the music was good. There's not like a, you know, something that I can hum to myself, like back in the car or anything. You know, after I leave, like nothing that memorable. But I thought overall, like everything was like catchy and uh, fun to listen to. Um, and yeah, the numbers are all choreographed uh, really well. I was just kind of lamenting, like I kind of wish there was more consistent use of like walking on the the side of the building or like at one point when they, before they go to the the pool, they have the little like white sketch drawings as they're explaining what they're talking about. Um, There's just long stretches where stuff like that doesn't happen. I'm just like, Oh yeah, there's a, there's a couple parts where Vanessa like will look up into the sky and like see her fabric samples. 
mm-hmm. um, that she's trying that to pick was a out. Cool scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just kind of wish that was a, like a consistent thing um, throughout. Uh, it is also kind of a, a long musical. Um, yeah, it's a little two bit over two hours. Yeah, it's like two twenty-three, I think, by the very end. But yeah, I agree. It did. It did. Just looking at the runtime, because like I said, I watched it at home. And like, I want to say about maybe that third or halfway mark, I was like, wow, like we've still got a lot left here. But then by the time it was over, I was like, shit, I want to watch that again. Yeah. (laughs) By then you're just so immersed in the story. And especially the way that they end up revealing like, oh, this El Suenito was, uh, you know, he wasn't actually in the Dominican Republic and all those scenes of like the kids and him older, you know, on the beach, they weren't like, real like it was actually in the shop it wasn't on a beach that whole time so that was like a nice little revelation and then you're like oh crap like now i want to watch it again because now i know how it all ends so the movie will feel a little different this time i think that was my favorite scene was the reveal that he the the beach was the bodega um Mm -hmm. but like i i was primed for it because at one point uh he references that the girl he's talking to is his daughter so i'm like oh at some point i guess he does hook up with Vanessa and they live happily ever after. So right, but I figured this, it was gonna be my... in the Dominican Republic. Uh yeah, like I was sitting there going like, well he's either uh this is a, this is all a fantasy um and he's making it up uh or he's really there. Um and it's it ends up being a kind of a blend of both. So I the, there's a good indicator for it even at the very beginning of the movie where he tells them to say the name of Washington Heights so it doesn't disappear. From that from that motion on i was like okay one of two things is going to happen here either there's going to be something major that shifts the course of that particular square block or they're staying there the entire time but it's still a nice thought and theme to permeate the film to where the experience itself carries you into it um once i I knew that was his daughter i was expecting her name at the end to be claudia after abuela and then it was, I think it was Iris or something, but I was like, damn it, missed opportunity there. You should have yeah. named your daughter after your abuela. Maybe it could have been a little too obvious. You never know. But I, I do agree that there is like longer stretches in this film that do, I don't say they drag, but like they, they go at the pace they want to. But I think that the more I go back to this, the less that's going to bother me. So I'm perfectly comfortable with giving giving a half a star down the line to it but also brad we didn't talk about the greatest plot point in this movie which is the uh the the battle between the uh shaved ice guy and the mr softy truck this is (laughs) cinema's great return to clashes between commerce minded individuals in which Lin-Manuel Miranda is a simple shaved ice guy who has served this community faithfully, but then the industriousness of a Mr. Softy truck tries to invade his fucking territory, and that, I will tell you right now, shaved ice guy is not fucking having it. <laughs> Piragua guy? Yeah. Uh, Corinne, did you watch past the credits? I didn't. Oh, yeah, there's, there's a post-credit <laughs> scene. Oh, oh, shit. <laughs> it, that it, resolves it, the feud. It's the greatest uh, it's the greatest post credit sequence I've ever seen. And this is coming from a person who has enjoyed several Marvel post credit scenes. This I mean, is fantastic. You expect it in a Marvel movie. I wouldn't expect it in a musical. Okay, I'm gonna have to watch this. I like and I do wonder like, Oh, sorry. I was gonna Go say it's like it's like a five minute scene too. It's not even just like a little stinger. It's like a good five mm. minute scene. No, so. it's not that long. 
like That's what two it minutes. felt like to me. <laughs> but I do wonder if the reason the movie kind of feels longer is because like that I feel like that first half, like before the blackout, really focuses a lot more on Nina and her story. And like Nina and Benny get more I feel like they get more focus in the first half. And then in the second half we get a lot more with Usnavi and Vanessa. And I think that that might be why is because it's almost like you've got two different storylines going on and you're trying to like connect everything together. And then like all of a sudden, like in the middle of this like giant stretch of Usnavi and Vanessa, all of a sudden we got to drop in a, a number about um, Nina and Benny when they're dancing on the wall and stuff. So that maybe that's why it feels a little long and well overall you have like yeah those are the main ones but you still got uh yeah you got the the tasty freeze and piragua guy they have a little bit of a story they've got uh the salon has their own story abuela has their own story um uh jimmy smith has his own story right but i'm talking about like of the four main characters or the two oh for sure but i'm just saying know. like there's also that and then all those other people get their own like screen time so right yeah like the 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 four the quad is already bloated enough. Um, like you could make a movie out of just either one of those. So, but I mean, as far as just cinematically, and I haven't seen the stage version, but it just it it didn't feel like oh they took this you know stage play and then they just kind of filmed it on location. Like no, this felt like a cinematic treat like this felt very theatrical and they really made use of the space and the different shots and the you know the pacing of the musical numbers and everything and you know it's it's a different feel and sometimes i feel like a fan of the opera the joel schumacher version could stray into that territory of like well we have this space and we're going to use it but we're not going to make it feel like a movie we're going to make it feel more like a staged play sort of deal you know what i mean like we're not going to take advantage of what the medium of movie making allows for yeah they didn't build it around what they did on stage they you know they utilized the actual heights to represent that culture in that space which is something that you should ideally do in order to translate the property down to cinema because it's not theater's its own different beast and you have to adapt it accordingly otherwise i like i like the producer's remake from 2005 but that is decidedly stage bound and it's kind of a problem with that movie but it's not that not, doesn't make the movie bad but it definitely like there's a difference between what that movie does on a visual aesthetic and what this one does and i i do appreciate that they didn't try to move past the boundaries that they had to, or try to accommodate something that wasn't inherent to their, to their art form. So. Good movie. I'll see it again. What about Hell yeah. you guys? Oh yeah. I'm, I, I want to go back to the theater with this after I've got some free time. Cause this was, this is another thing. I think that people should watch this movie in a theater and ideally like, I mean, like, I know that crowds are an issue with, but like, if you've got a couple of people in the theater with you and everybody's having a fun time, like, that's like the kind of like, th- that's the kind of environment I'd like to watch this in. Cause Brad and I saw this at uh, an empty screening. We were the only ones in there at nine thirty at night and on a Sunday, people have to yeah, on a Sunday. Day, obviously. 
yeah like that that's the kicker of it but like you know i'd love to try to go to this during a weekend and like see like see it with a group of people and just kind of like revel in the fact of like watching a show of that caliber and that elegance like like the way chu directs it like it is really like it is an experience that you should watch in a movie theater because it is built for the big screen it's not built for your television or hbo max really um I mean, it's fine if you watch it there, and I totally understand that. But the experience—I mean, had a good time. <laughs> oh, I'm, I, yeah. Again, I'm not discounting that, but like when you watch it on that big screen, like it—it it appropriately is designed to be seen that way, and pays off for that element because it doesn't condense its—it doesn't condense its worldview. It's very expansive. It's wide. When you watch it on a big screen, that pays off. It's almost like I'd like to watch this on an IMAX screen, to be honest. So I know they were having IMAX showings of it. I think it's still hard. I'll have to check those out. Like, cause I, I did enjoy watching something like La La Land and IMAX too, where it's like a musical really should have that vibe to it and be as big and bold as possible. Mm-hmm. But which it does yeah. seem like I know we're not in that vein of like old Hollywood where we get movie musicals all the time. At least outside of like animation, because animation's kind of its own thing. But it I am liking this trend of like, you know, every year, every other year we get a a live action movie musical and I'm down for that. Like, I want to see more movie musicals. I want them to keep the trend going. And I'd like, I'd love to start seeing, I'd like to start seeing Hollywood try to conceptualize their own musicals that aren't like, it's almost like that we, we have a plethora of Broadway adaptations and I have no uh i have no reason to knock that in fact i enjoy watching them try to adapt them each time but i would like to see i would love to see filmmakers in hollywood or wherever like start conceptualizing musicals that are that are designed for the screen as an original screen concept because that's a that's an art that definitely doesn't exist anymore um trying to conceptualize musicals solely for the film um like, I mean, Mel Brooks is kind of one of the last people to do it. And that was always in the guise of comedy. So it was never really taken as a sincere musical. Uh, but, you know, that would be cool. Like, but I'd like to start seeing more of that experience. I got like a really big thrill out of watching this. Like, it's, it's, it's exciting to watch. So. I mean, I slightly disagree with you. I'm obviously down for, you know, original movie musicals, but I would love to see adaptations of like the stuff that's on Broadway right now, because not everybody can go to Broadway. Not everybody has like, you know, the tours coming through their city. So it's like, yeah, if you can make a movie version of it and do it in a way that is both true to the spirit of the original stage musical, but also utilizes the medium of film in a really good way. And at the same time, make it accessible to people everywhere. Like, mm-hmm. that's honestly a good thing. Like, that's how I got into Phantom of the Opera was because of the Joel Schumacher movie. Yeah. No, yeah. Again, I'm not, I, I'm not knocking Broadway adaptations. I, I'm glad that they exist. I'm excited for Wicked whenever that comes out. Yeah. But... I want them to do Hades Town because I've heard good things, but obviously there's no movie of it yet. There's there's musicals that they that they do on off Broadway that I'd love to see them put out. Like there's adaptations of a lost Marx Brothers musical that I'm thinking like you know you could you could try to see if you could readapt that for this for for the screen and see how that played out. It would be it, it would it would be met with a lot of contention, but you could give it a shot. But uh, but yeah, I I mean 
either way, I think that there's there's room for these things to be built out and to be explored so long as they are I, I think that having the creators of the musicals on board as creatives the way they had Miranda involved is essential because they they will ensure an authenticity to the experience of that production and that respects both art forms. So what are we seeing next week? Well, Ryan's not here, so he's not here to make the call. Um, we have a couple options. Uh, Luca is releasing on Disney+. Plus. However... Um, is it going to be in the theaters too? It doesn't look like it. I just went to the website to check, and it, it, it's, it says exclusively on Disney+. Plus. So, hmm. um, I mean, I'm going to watch it because I'm a Pixar fan. Yeah. Although uh, I'm not vibing with it. Like I see the trailers and I'm like, I'm not, this premise feels really flimsy, but you know, whatever, I will give it a shot. It's always like a thing with Pixar trailers though. They have a hard, hard time selling the movie, but then you watch the movie and then it tears your soul apart and builds it back up. Yeah. You're just like, why, why did I ever question this? This is amazing. Yeah, exactly. They pull this trick every time we've got to be stopped being fooled by it. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, however, believe that given the option, if we have a theater choice, we should take it to support getting people back into theaters. Agreed. So the Sparks Brothers, Edgar Wright's documentary on a band I've never heard of until he started talking about it. Um, I would be is, down with that. It is in limited release, uh, but it is at the um, Landmark Theaters and um, Alamo, uh, as far as I know. It'll probably... Uh, get some a couple of releases in amc probably so i think that's what we should do but you know our choices are fluid and um, apparently ryan doesn't want to see f9 so uh we might have to fill some some weeks with stuff so but we could but, return to both but but guys they're gonna go to space at last why why are we why are we ignoring this opportunity to see this through to the end there's no rock in this one so immediately interest took a nose <laughs> look look i un- i understand that but you guys have to understand that for years these guys have been pushing to go to space they've been saying it without saying it and now at last they're going to go to space and we're going to ignore this opportunity what if the I mean, trailers are lie? <laughs> what was that what if the trailers are lying they don't really actually get to go to space you like you'll feel cheated well well then i will walk out immediately the moment i find out it's a cheat i don't care if it's in the first five minutes but <laughs> So yeah, I might push for Cruella maybe to make a resurgence. I know two of us have seen it already, but uh, like I said, I still haven't. I still haven't seen it. I'd love to go see it in the theater. Yeah, we don't. Uh, we can't. You do any uh, film explosion fillers because that'll offset the planned five hundred episodes. So, uh, you know, July Fourth weekend, the big thing is the Forever Purge, which I don't think any of us are into either. So <laughs> I need to catch up on the other purges. <laughs> We what if we had? <laughs> we might end up with Cruella or Luca filling in later, anyway. So I, I'm going to push for the Sparks Brothers this week. Sweet, I'd be down with that choice. Edgar Wright's always a solid choice in the in our books. Yeah, I heard he uh, is inventive with the uh, documentary genre, and we don't do a lot of documentaries as our film of the week. So no, when was the last time we did one? Uh, Won't you be my neighbor? Yeah, I can tell you, like looking through that list for the like anniversary special you guys don't see a lot of movies that i see as your movie of the week because a lot of the movies that are on my film explosion lists 
either they're like superhero movies or some other big blockbuster or it's like you'd never see it never heard of it like Juliet naked or whatever you know <laughs> Makoto Shinkai or anything like that's not going to be movie of the week no but like you know I in doing the list I was amazed by how many things I would solidly put on a top 100 list like we just mentioned Edgar Wright I have no I mean there is at least one of his movies on that list and it has absolutely every right to be there um yeah it's always been a perceived like what would the world be watching that week more than you know what we're gonna see so well apparently you guys watch a lot of horror a lot of superhero movies and a lot of like action comedies and not like a lot of rom-coms or animated films or whatever well corinne um i i I see what you're saying and i understand your point but um i will i I will put myself under the bus while while also defending some choices here it's either this or we watch movies like mank every week so what's your call i'm definitely not watching mank again so (laughs) luca it is (laughs) No, I want to see the Sparks Brothers doc. It's been getting good buzz out of Sundance. Edgar Wright's been supporting the pushback to theaters. I think it's more than reasonable to honor that request with uh, a screening of his movie. Yeah. Also, if you can't make it to the theater, I, I'm, it, it's it's pretty likely that uh, Alamo on Demand will probably have it too. So if you want to stream it at home. Yeah. You, there's, there's, there's options to do it. Uh, and... If all else fails, Raiders of the Lost Ark has been playing up a storm in retrospect, so maybe we could celebrate the 40th anniversary of Raiders. Uh, we already did Raiders as a leading episode, so... Oh, you did? Oh, that's right. I, I think it's the 35, probably. <laughs> so. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Never mind, never mind, never mind. No, uh, the 30th, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I did see that in the list. Never mind. Um... Well, did you ever guys do? Did you guys ever do Back to the Future? Because that's playing at one or two of the theaters. <laughs> uh, we didn't, but that's kind of all over. It's been released many times. Um, I'd rather do something new. So, but it mentions Jack Benny in it, Brad. Why can't we? <laughs> I mean, if we didn't do it for the 2015 year, then there's it's no not, point. It, it's not <laughs> happening. You got to wait till the 50th anniversary. <laughs> I mean, I put it on my film explosion that year, and people were like, "What are you doing? You can't put all three of those movies on your film explosion list." <laughs> I, I, like, I, I, I agree with you. I was very tempted because I couldn't remember if you had disqualified this as a possibility. But one of our main reviews one week was North by Northwest, and I was tempted to put it on my 100, but I tried to be polite. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're good. Very I, easy. I think Sparks Brothers is fine, and hopefully Ryan agrees. So, yeah. I guess, uh, yeah, until next time. Bye. Bye. Keep watching movies. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout-out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening, and have a nice day.